my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything I need. That's right. So as we open to Matthew chapter 11 today, we left last week with Jesus giving the, uh, the disciples turned apostles because he's sending them out and he warned them. He said, it's not going to be easy. Um, but I want you to know that you will, no matter what you do, as little as, little as the, the deed is, cup of cold water to someone who needs it. I don't care what it is. I see it. I see you serving me and you will be rewarded. I think we talked last week about that there can't be any better reward than to think that Jesus will acknowledge you and I before his father. And that will be quite a reward. So he, he warns them, yes, but he, then he always makes sure that they know that it will be worth it all. And then we move into today's lesson where after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So again, make sure you see that what Jesus loved to do most, what was necessary most, was that he teach and preach these words. He did the miracles again to create curiosity, to prove who he was, to get their attention. But he loved teaching and preaching. And then when John heard, when John the Baptist was in jail, when he was in prison, he heard what Christ was doing. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? I don't know about you, but no matter when I read that, I think, John, how could you doubt? I mean, you baptized him. You know who he is. You, you were on mission. You knew that that, that was your job and that, that you were the forerunner. And you said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So why is this? Why, you know, and I thought, well, maybe we better go back and see why is he John the Baptist in prison anyway? It's because he was no nonsense, because he knew his mission, because he dared call out sin when it was sin. So when King Herod took his brother's wife, Herodias, John the Baptist had the nerve, which no one else did, had the nerve to go to King Herod and say, that's not right. Well, that didn't go over too easy because you know why King Herod and Herodias, they, they've been created just like every other human being, and that is we've been created with an, uh, a realization that we need a Savior, we need Jesus, we are not complete without him, and that when we veer off course, I believe guilt is a gift, and they were guilty and we can we know that Jesus takes us the way we are but he will show us our sin and he expects repentance and confession so that he can forgive and wipe this lake clean so now we can start the process of being transformed and being like him so you have you have 
him in this jail right now because they didn't want they didn't want to do what they had to do to get rid of their guilt. We know that the only way we can get our guilt gone is to confess and repent and be forgiven. That's what erases the guilt. But they didn't want to do that. So they tried, like so many people, let's try to get rid of our guilt another way. If we could just get rid of this loud mouth, if we can just get rid of him, keep pounding the fact that we're sinners in our head, if we could just get rid of him, then, then, then our guilt will be gone. And so let's just put him in prison, they say, because they didn't dare kill him because he had too many followers until, until just the right moment. King Herod has a party. Him and his buddies, they just get drunk and they want some entertainment. So they ask Herodias' daughter Salome to dance. You know that her dance is seductive and her clothes are the same. And she performs a show like none other. In fact, King Herod says, wow, what can I give you, girly? Up to half my kingdom, you can have up half up to half my kingdom. What do you want? That was tremendous. Well, a young little girl like that, she she doesn't want to blow that, so she goes to her mom and says, "Boy, I did I ever get a a, a prize? Did I ever get something? I don't even know what to ask for. So give me a little a little advice." And this is how ugly sin gets. When Herodias is used, uses her own daughter to say, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Now, you have got all this going on. Well, I, you know what? If you read the story in another gospel, in the details, that's exactly what she got. John the Baptist's head on a platter. How gross is that? Well, John is in prison, and he is, I mean, I, I think the video helped us to see that the prisons then are not like our prisons now. When their rights have to be made sure that they every right is being covered and all that, then look at, they slapped him in this dark, damp place, dirty, filthy his body is broken, probably from beatings. He's got his hands in chains. In that loneliness, in that lone time, you just think and you think and you think and you look at your circumstances. And I, and I do believe the key to this, because we all have fallen into a time where our circumstances and our crisis just kind of gets us to the point where we say, are you for real? Because you know what? We don't expect Jesus to act like this. And I wrote in my Bible, I think that the, the key to all of this is the reason why the doubt, even from John the Baptist, is because he's not always the Messiah we think he should be. We want him to answer. We want him to, to do everything so that we're happy and comfortable again. We want everything to be just hunky-dory. And he says, no, I have got plans. And sometimes I will use some of the hardest and most difficult times for you to show myself to you and to those who are watching. 
you know, this is why I had you look up that question. You're, you know, have you look up Proverbs 3. It's a familiar passage, but it's when your, your tendency, your human tendency wants to doubt because this is not the way the Messiah is supposed to be. This is not the way Jesus is supposed to act. He's supposed to make everything better. He's supposed to make everything the way that, that you want it to be. But that's not. He didn't promise that. But he did have the wisest man in the whole world to say, you got to trust him. Trust the Lord with all your heart, all your heart. Don't lean to your own brain figuring the way your brain works. Don't always lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, keep going to him. Acknowledge him, and he promises to direct your path, keep you on the right road. But the second that you stop trusting, the, the second you let, this is so the enemy's trump card. He did it in Genesis 3, and he does it yet. If he can just create a little doubt, and if he can do it to John the Baptist, he can do it to you and I. Look at Satan can do. Look at the enemy can do. He can just, and someone like John the Baptist who knew, who knew what, he knew what he was supposed to do and he did it. And if you, if it can happen to him, I think this is such a open up your eyes, look at reality and see maybe that's what's happening to you right now. You've kind of sunk into a little doubt because this is not the way your Messiah is supposed to be. Jesus replied, did you see, Jesus didn't scold. Jesus didn't come at him with saying, how can you? I mean, no, Jesus just replied to to John the Baptist's disciples, go back, go back and report to John what you hear, what you see. Go back and tell him. He doesn't say it in so many words, but but yes, he does. He doesn't say, go back and tell him, oh, yeah, he's the Messiah, all right. You just go back and you tell him what you're seeing and what you're hearing, and he'll take it from there. You go tell him that you've watched the blind receive sight. You watch the lame walk. You watch those with leprosy being cured. You saw and you heard the deaf talk. And the mute talk, and you saw that the deaf now can hear. And the good news is being preached to the poor. You just go tell John that. And then he ended this. And make sure you say this, blessed. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He says that to you and I in our crisis, in our hard times, when we're, we're kind of edging to that doubt because he's not the Messiah we thought. He's supposed to, we're supposed to, he's supposed to look this way and act this way. And he's saying, I want you to know I will bless you with such internal blessings, with such blessings that will go on for eternity. Blessings that he gives are not blessings that, that are from this world. His blessings last for all eternity. And he says, blessed are is the man, blessed is the woman who does not fall away on account of me. 
You know, when we, when we have two choices, and, and again, I say it repeatedly, aren't you glad he only gives us two? But boy, I'm telling you, there's such a wide divide between the two. You either go your way and you fall into your funk, you fall into your, your, your um, depression, you fall into your um, discouragement, you fall into your despair, you, you just feel so down, you're dejected. I purposely thought of all D words in the negative concept because I think it just helps me to see what the devil wants me to choose. He wants me to choose that avenue that will cause me to go down and defeat it and feel hopeless because then, then I am so ineffective down there. Or he says, come to me. And you're going to see how he ends. You know this, how, how he ends this chapter. This, is, this whole chapter is about, again, your choice. When, when doubts want to come, when Jesus doesn't do it the way you want it or in the time that you want it. And then he says to John's disciples, or as they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And Look, he says, what did, you, what did you go into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? I didn't really think these two. Did, did you notice? I'm going to read it all. Listen to all the questions Jesus says. What did, you, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed in the wind? If not, what, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are, king, are in king's palaces. Then what did you go to see? A prophet? Look at all the questions. He said, I want you to, what did you go to hear John for? If you thought you were going to go and hear some, some preacher who only says what itching ears want to hear, he's not your guy. Who sways at every little, every little new thing that, that comes along? If, no, then he's not your guy. What did you expect? To hear just some nice words telling you just what you want to hear? Nope, he's not your guy. He doesn't sway. He's firm. <laughs> did you go? Did you go out there to see what he's wearing? Because you know, as a preacher, you know, did you see if he was spit polished enough? Uh, then he's not your guy. <laughs> because nothing, nothing swayed John the Baptist. He didn't let anything deter him from what he was supposed to do. He didn't let anything of the world get in the way. So Jesus asked the questions, what did you expect? Because this man knew his place, knew his job, believed it, and did it. And he didn't let anything of the world get in the way. He didn't really care. If you, if you thought you were going to go out there and really get him all shook up, I mean, this is pretty much saying this to the religious leaders. If you thought you were going to shake him up and get him all nervous, oh, boy, did you ever have an awakening. Because he didn't care what people thought. He knew the truth that had to be said. 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He was more than a prophet. John the Baptist was the last of Old Testament prophets. And the reason I say that, even though he's in the New Testament, is because the prophet's job was to foretell the coming of the Messiah, to get people to cling to the hope of what was coming. Hang on. The people then needed something to hang on. And that was the thought that a Messiah was coming. Do you know that he really pretty much did the same for us today? He says in our, in our life, in our, in our hard, the hard hardships we, we have with life and, and the ups and downs of life. Do you know what he says? Pretty much the same thing. Hold on. Hold on. Because we're living in prophetic times ourselves. And we're holding on to what, what the prophets in the New Testament are saying. And one was John, John the apostle, who had this a vision where he, where he says, I saw with my own eyes, I heard with my own ears. What, what a book to be able to tell you and I, you have got a future, hold on. Same kind of thing. This is the one about whom it is written. He said, I just want to quote from the Old Testament that the Old Testament prophet said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Malachi 3 verse 1. And John the Baptist, even though he was in the New Testament, he's still Old Testament what a prophet did. He was foretelling the coming of the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Is there any doubt what you, what you think Jesus thought of John the Baptist? You think he's really upset with him because he doubted there for, for a little bit? No, no, he is saying to the people, there is no one born of women that has risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And then yet, though, he says, but yet I want you to know, because he's an Old Testament prophet, he's not, he's not going to be able to see what you are able to see. That's why he says, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's saying back to us, he's saying, you know what? As great as John the Baptist was, you and me who live on this side, of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and the Pentecost and the written word, all of Paul's teachings, the book of Revelation. He said, yet he was least in the kingdom is greater than he because John didn't see all that. He didn't experience all that. We have got it made. From the days of John the Baptist until now, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, which is Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, if you want to put it, put it simply, since John the Baptist came and foretold and said the kingdom of heaven is near and just in a few days Jesus walks into the water and John baptizes him, the kingdom of heaven happened right then, just like John the Baptist said. So since that day until, he says, from John, from John the Baptist's days until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. 
the King James Version uses the word violent. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been violently advancing. And violent men lay hold of it forcefully. That's a hard concept. And I, and I mean, if you go to commentaries, everybody's got a different opinion on that. So what in the world does it mean? And I think this is where each one of you individually, we, we, try, to, we try to take it in the context that it's written. So I'm just going to tell you, and you can take it or leave it, but I decided to look at these words in a positive sense. Whether you use the word force or use the word violence, to me, Jesus is saying getting the gospel story out is not going to be easy. And it's going to take force. It's going to take, I mean, of all weeks to help me to understand this, of all weeks, it just broke my heart, and I hope it broke yours too, on the news, about that young man who was a missionary to some little country that had tribes yet and all that, and he was murdered for the cause of Christ. You think that getting the gospel, there, there was something happened to this young man and he, he laid himself open before the Lord and said, use me however you want to use me. And he felt the call to go to this place because he forcefully wanted to get those people to know that Jesus is the answer. He always has been and he always will be. I just respect him so much because we just like to stay in our little world. We don't even dare talk about it with our friends, let alone feel the call of God to go to some place like that. When I looked at that verse, I thought, oh, yes, getting the gospel to the world is not easy. You think about what the apostles went through. 11 out of 12 were martyred. The 12th one went on the island of Patmos in captivity. They suffered for the cause of Christ because it was worth it. But it is hard work. You think about Stephen standing there with those stones barreling at him. And yet he's just saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. When he saw heaven open and saw the Son of Man standing there, what, with those arms wide open. I love it. The gospel of Christ, it's hard to get it to the world because people don't want to hear about confession and repentance and seeing myself in need of a Savior. What a sign of weakness is that? And then it said, and, then, and forceful men lay hold of it. Like I said, I choose. I mean, there's, you can see that both ways. I mean, I can see the, the violence that's happened because people who are willing, like this young man, like many, you know, who have stood up for the cause of Christ and lost their lives. Those terrorists or whatever, it, 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 violence happens. But I also think about the men and women who have been forceful in making sure. I think of Billy Graham. I think of some of those who just did not waver. 
so that verse to me, it just opened up so much. I, I really, I loved it because it showed that, that we've got work to do and it is hard. It, it's going to take our force to make sure people hear our strength and our courage and our bravery our knowing him so well and our believing in him so much that we dare despite what people think. I go back to what they, what'd you think? You thought when they met you that they, you were just going to be what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, Jesus loves you no matter what. Oh, you're just fine. No, you got to tell them that we're all sinners. We have to be brave with the truth. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, all the prophets, all those Old Testament prophets, even John the Baptist, and, and the law. What was the law all about? All that 700, some picky, union laws. It was all about what Jesus was going to come and fulfill. And if, and there, there's that two-letter word again. <laughs> it's up to you, up to you. But if, if you are willing to, to accept this, if you're willing to accept this gospel, he is the Elijah who was to come. He is the Elijah. Whether that's John the Baptist, he fulfilled what Elijah said, whether that's Jesus, Jesus, when, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember when Elijah and Moses came, Elijah represented the prophets, Moses represented deliverance. And what is Jesus? Exactly, our prophet, our priest, and our king. He who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear. I know, I know we sang this this morning, and I know we just sang it a couple weeks ago, but I do. When he says, ye, he who has ears, let him hear. Is he talking to deaf people here? No, he's talking to you and me, saying, I want you to hear this with spiritual ears. Let the spirit open up your, your spiritual ears so that it's not just surface hearing, but that it's, it's heart hearing so that it does something to you. There's a world of difference between just hearing it and let it, letting it, you know, stay right up here. He's saying, no, I want the ears of your heart to hear this because that's when it really affects you and changes you. To what can I compare this generation? Oh, oh! Now, now you're gonna hear Jesus. He's gonna get a little upset. He's getting a little upset here. I mean, he is firm here. I mean, really, this whole chapter up until the end, where I think you see his real tenderness. But right now, boy, he is—he is real—he's really talking to these people, and he's saying, "What kind of generation are you? To what can I compare this generation? They're like children." Sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge. We, you did not mourn. And that too is a prophecy that they should know. He's saying, you know what that's saying? The words are right here before you. I'm standing right here. The truth is right here and you don't care and you don't want to hear it. You don't want to believe it. I'm right here. 
We played the flute for you. We sang the dirge. We did everything. We, <laughs> you did. For John came neither eating nor drinking. Yeah, you know what? Remember when we said to what his diet was and, you know, kind of gave us the grapes a little bit, you know. But, you know, he didn't come. You know, what's the phrase? Some people live to eat. And then there's John the Baptist who eats to live, you know. And I hear locusts is quite a bit of protein. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, he said he didn't, those weren't, those weren't priorities to him. John didn't come neither eating or drinking that that was top priority. He, and yet they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. You know, Jesus, if you ever look, Jesus Jesus loved eating and drinking. And it's not so much, I don't think, the food and the drink. He loved it when people got together and that fellowship, that social time. Yeah. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and a sinner, and sinners. You know what I wrote in my Bible to sum that up, what that really means? Jesus is saying to them, you can't win. You just can't win with you people. But then he ends up with this. He ends up, but wisdom is proved by her actions. I think right there Jesus was saying, but you're going to find out. You're going to find out someday. And I'm thinking, the verse that came to my mind is, and on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Oh, there's going to be so many people saying, I should have listened to her. She really wasn't a religious nut after all. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's kind of saying that to his disciples because it doesn't look like you're going to win. It's, it looks like you just are constantly losing. And Jesus puts those words in. Mark my words. Wisdom is proved right by our actions. You just keep living right because you've been made right by the grace of God, by his shed blood. He's he's saying that to you and me today. You just keep, that's real wisdom. You keep remembering who you are. And they might be laughing and they might think you're a joke and they might not want to hear. He said, "It'll it'll be proven. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed performed because they did not repent. Oh, you could see his heart was broken. He just, he was just pouring out. I mean, I think he's upset and, and hurt and all those emotions wrapped into one. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. He's saying and even Capernaum later. These are the towns Jesus really centered in when he, when he performed miracles. And you know what? I wrote in my Bible there just to make it more real. Woe to you, Holland. Woe to you, Zealand. Woe to you, Grand Rapids. Woe to you, Granville. Woe to you, Hudsonville. Woe to you, Jenison. Oh, you take so much pride. You're such a religious community. You put those city names in there 
means the very same thing. Look at he says, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Again, in this paragraph, he makes sure we know, don't try to think it's not going to happen just because you don't want it or you're afraid of it or you, there's going to be a judgment. And he says, if, if some of these cities, this is where, I mean, he is a just God, and this is where I kind of shake in my boots because he seemed to bless West Michigan with opportunities and the gospel in every shape or form. And he says, you know what? Woe to you because on that day of judgment, where you had everything and you just thumbed your nose to it or you just got bored with it or it just wasn't a priority or you didn't take it serious. Woe to you. (laughs) I really believe that this message in this chapter 11, he is saying with intensity and he is saying, it is time to wake up and to realize That time is going to come to an end. Judgment day is going to happen. And if you haven't accepted him as your savior, you will have to accept him as your judge. It's going to be one or the other. And what we did, what we do with our now is going to determine what's going to happen then. And I, I think that's serious. And I think he's speaking and preaching and teaching this with a force because he knows to get the gospel out, it does take force. That time Jesus said, oh, I think right then he just kind of turned things and he just had to get his eyes back. (laughs) All praise to you. I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth. Sometimes you just need to do that. Sometimes when you're watching the news, sometimes you just need to turn it off and look up and say, praise be to you, Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Because you know, look at how he says, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. Does that say that Jesus deliberately hides this gospel from certain people? Absolutely not. No, these wise and learned, they're so wise and learned in their own self. They think they're so smart. They think they've got all the answers. They don't need all this stuff. said, you've hidden it. He hides things from those who don't want to hear. It's not, that, it's not that he would ever hide it from somebody on purpose, but he said, you don't want to hear? Okay. And you decided to reveal it to little children. Figuratively, 
Literally, absolutely, but figuratively, he wants you and I to always remain like a little child when it comes to him because he is our father. The father has been revealed. Jesus is going to say that the, your father has been revealed to you because of me. And you can have that relationship with him like a father. And so he says, sometimes you just need to just stop and say, I need to become like a child again. Because what does a child do? Just believes because you told him. Just simply believes because you told him. Suffer if, the little children to come, come to me right. for such. Exactly, exactly, Llewellyn. When Jesus said, let the little children, yeah, he, he had the little ones come up, but he was talking to everybody. Let the ones who are childlike come to me, who doesn't think that they can figure everything out, know that they just dare trust me. Did you ever have with a child, with one of your children or grandchildren or niece or nephew or anything, but or any child, you're walking into, uh, um, I an unknown surroundings for in everything. When you're little, everything is so huge. Everything is so big and scary. I, I remember so many times where we'd be walking into a new church or a new experience or whatever, and all of a sudden, I would feel a little hand grab mine. <laughs> but there was nothing like it because those boys knew that I would never lead them into the wrong place. They trust in me. And we know how endearing that is. And Jesus said, I want you to think about that. That's the same thing. Your venture in life is unknown. It's scary. But take the hand of your father who says, I will never lead my child to the wrong place. See, he'll reveal himself to those who are childlike and say, please. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I want to know. I don't want to miss this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son to those whom the Father, who the Son chooses to reveal. And again, he chooses to reveal himself to the one who wants it bad enough. <laughs> it's that simple. He will reveal himself to anybody who will ask, seek, and knock. Anybody who is willing to become, who is like a child in their trust. And you know, there is nothing, and I know I say it every week. I said it the first week we started Matthew, and I think we're just going to keep continuing. I think, well, our day and age right now, we have to get to know our Savior better because that's what's going to keep us hanging on. The more you know about him, because he showed us in his word how to live during hard times. He showed us how to live when life, when we think we can't handle one more thing. He's showing us how to live. We have got to get to know how he did it. We got to get to know him. And he can't wait to reveal it all to us. But he can see in our heart if we really want to know or not. 
And what a way to end this chapter today. What a beautiful way to end this chapter after all of his, I mean, because really, I mean, you've heard it in my voice. Look how, look how intense I've been this morning. But I truly believe that I spoke the way Jesus spoke because it was serious business. But then after he talks about if you're willing to be childlike, if you're willing, if you're willing to, to get to know me, let me get to, let me show you one of my greatest attributes for you. But all you have to do is choose to come to me. Come to me, and, and you can almost hear his compassion and his tenderness and his, and his longing. You see, and what a life you can live if you just in the middle, because he knows life. I mean, for 33 years, he got to know what we have to deal with. That's why in Hebrews, it says we have a high priest that understands everything that we've been through. So don't think he doesn't. So he knows, and he's saying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. Hey, you're weary. What gets you weary? Life, disappointment, loss. That gets you weary. So he knows, he knows that life can make you weary. Come to me, all you are weary. and." Heavy laden. How much does heavy laden weigh, do you think? Oh, it is a lot. And every one of us knows what that feels like when you're heavy laden. You can almost feel the push, and you almost can feel yourself hunchback carrying that. When you have a burden that's so great, and you're trying to carry it yourself, he says, don't. You don't have to. But see, here's your choice. You can, here's another. You can choose, okay, take that burden, that heavy laden, and, and go into your, and watch those D words take over again. Or, or you can come to me. And what does he say? If you come to me with all of your heavy, with your weariness and your heavy ladenness, if you come to me and bring that to me, did you know he doesn't say, and I'll make it all better? Is that what your Bible said? Maybe your version says that. My version does not say that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what does he promise? I will give you rest. It doesn't mean everything is going to be solved the way you want, but that is, that is a gold nugget sentence. That is one that you take out of here and you get into your heart. He wants to give you and me rest. And what does that mean? What does that mean when he said, I will give you rest? Because what does, what does heavy laden and what does weariness cause you to do? I mean, there again, it just, ugh, just weighs you down. You can't sleep at night. It's on your mind all the time. And you just can't, you don't, it affects every area of your life. And you're downcast. Oh, I love it. You know, why are you so downcast? That's, that's put out there too. 
in scripture. Why are you so downcast? Why, why you got such a long face? You got Jesus for crying out loud. You've got salvation. You've got a future. You've got the promises. Okay, the, uh, I'm going to ask you. Remember Hebrews 2.1. Remember, pay attention to what you have learned so that you do not drift and drifting in, it means going off to the other road that's going to take you and the devil is having a heyday and he is loving you, bringing you down because you are absolutely, you, you are not effective for God's kingdom at all. Crabby, downcast, hopeless. So what, what do you want to hear? What do you need to hear that will give you rest instead of those D words or that hopeless feeling or that heavy weight? If you want the burden lifted, if you want to find rest, because that's what he says he'll give you, I will give it to you. You are willing to trust me and come to me in your weariness and your heavy ladenness. I will give you rest. Okay, what's going to, what reminder? To me, rest, rest is when I say, oh, yeah, that's right. I can almost feel, I can feel the tenseness and I can feel the struggle and I can feel, I can feel, oh, yeah, that's right. And I can just feel the rest coming. That's what rest is. I'm starting to relax. Remember when I read to you last week when Johnny, when she heard that the, the cancer was back, she said, I relaxed and smiled and said, I wonder what the Lord is going to do to use this for his glory. Oh, man. That's what rest is. She relaxed and smiled with that news. And he said, that's for all of us. Okay, what do you know that helps you to bring on the rest, that reminds you, oh, yeah, that's right. I lost track. I got on the wrong road. Name something. Name something to me that you know is going to help you to get the rest back. Yes, Jesus loves. Yes, that's your first one. Your first one should be that. Yes, Jesus loves me. And how do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Okay, what else do you know that will calm you down and relax you? All of his promises are what? True. And he, when he says, I will, he does. And his will is perfect. When you start saying that, you've got to keep telling yourself, that's right. His will is perfect. His timing is perfect. He is in control. Yeah, he is. And sometimes you, you got to keep saying that. You got to keep saying that. This is not out of control. It might look like it, but he is in control. He is God. He sits on the throne, and he is the blessed controller of all things. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He wants us to trust and obey. And when you start listening and learning and obeying you watch you watch you'll you'll know what rest is because the holy spirit will then start feeding you what you know i can do all things through him who will give me the strength and i know that he will supply all my needs today 
Mary, has there been a verse that you've used in the last months? Something that you, I mean, you, you've written to me so many things, and Mary doesn't ever send you a message without using all capital, all capital letters when, he, when she talks about her Jesus. Getting her through some of the hardest, hardest days, something that she would have never wanted, something that was totally, and many, many of you women have experienced what Mary's got through. I'm just using her, but I'm telling you, there isn't a time that Mary doesn't write me when I, when, when I just want to tell her something. She'll write back, and she will use a verse. She will use it in, in her heartbreak, in her tears. She will use, but God, <laughs> But it's a choice you have to make. And the thing is, when you let him minister to you, you find instead of all your human emotions that want to take over your faith, you find that the rest, he will give you rest when you start letting him bring your faith back. And what is your faith believing what you know about him? Let me just read this one more time and just feel how loved you are. Just picture yourself being the only person in this room right now. And Jesus has got his hands on your cheeks, and he's looking with those same eyes that he looked at Matthew with at the tax collector's booth, that kind of love. He's looking at you and me with the same love, and he is saying, come on, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will. See, I hope you saw that. You will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that's not a great way to live, I don't know what is. Have a good week.